Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 189. This one is super special, you guys, and it's actually a twofer because technically it's a my first 50K episode. But the woman that I'm talking with today, Miranda Porritt, who I met inside the Run Your First 50K Facebook group, she actually skipped right over 50K and went to 100K as her first ever ultra. And it's the, the story about how she got there is amazing. So I don't want to ruin it for you. So Please, without further ado, here is my conversation with newly minted ultra runner, Miranda Porritt. Okay, so hi, my name's Miranda. Thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. And I wanted to share my story. Um, So I'm 57 years old. And this summer in September, I ran my first ultra, which was 100k. That's awesome. And just for context, tell everybody where you live. So I am in Kent, which is in the UK. I work in London. So I spend the weekdays in London, in the city. And then uh, at the weekends, we come out to Kent, which is in the countryside. And how how far? I have no frame of reference. How far are the two between each other? Okay. So it's about an hour on the train. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. That's great. So did you grow up in London or did you grow up in the countryside? So I grew up near Manchester in the northwest of England. And when I was 18, I moved to London to start my nurse training. Oh, awesome. And did you run when you were a kid? Like, were you always an athlete or did you come into it later? No. So running's always been my preferred sport. So as a teenager, I did lots of competitive running and, um, you know, track racing in the summer and cross country in the winter, um, which kind of continued. Um, I had a break when I had small children, but then I went back to it when my children were a little bit older. So yeah. Mm -hmm. And just like road races, 5Ks, 10Ks, what did you like to do? So um, I trained with a a running club. So the summer was all about track racing and, you know, a lot of training on the track. And then in the winter, it was always cross country races, which were somewhere between five and seven k i did do some road races as well so some 10 k's uh half marathons and i did one marathon back in 2004 nice and then so what have you been doing since 2004 and now just sort of like random races or uh so no i continue to run up until 2007 with my running club and then we moved away from where the running club was that I used to train with and so I switched and did some triathlons for a while and then just kind of a bit of a backseat and just did running just for me rather than competitive stuff anymore so just you know five ten k's just what fitted into my family at that time yeah yeah and um so did you prefer the shorter distance triathlons or did you do long, long distance tries? Um, so I only did a couple which were shorter and I intended to do longer, but then um, I had a car accident. Somebody ran into the back of my car and I had a, yeah, I had a, um, a back injury, which kind of curtailed that for quite a while. Was it serious or was it just sort of like whiplash? Yeah, whiplash. And then I had like an ongoing, just chronic back pain. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and I still now suffer with back pain, but running is makes it better, not worse. But running on the road really is too hard a surface for me. I much prefer my 
trail running and it suits my body better. Yeah. So do you do many, I have no context, like are there trails in London when you're there during the week or do you have to wait until the weekends when you go back to Kent to get some more trails? Yeah. Um, running in Kent is really where I can find the nice trails. And during the week, um, particularly leading up to my ultra, you know, I made the most of my time in London and I did hill repeats. If anybody knows London, there's a, a place called Primrose Hill, which is um, close to where we stay in London during the week. And so I was able to do that. And Regent's Park isn't very far away. So I was able to run around the park. Um, but yeah, during the week, I mainly concentrated on hill repeats and some strength training. I've got a TRX. So I did that as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll see me post a lot of TRX stuff. I think it's super helpful uh, just from a from a running context, but just like from a overall strength um, you know, you're using everything in every single exercise. So it's not just like, you know, sitting on a Nautilus machine at the gym and just doing a press or a pull, like yeah. you, every little, every muscle is involved, which yeah. I think is, um, is such a great parallel for running. So, yes. all right. So you started, you, you've always been an athlete. You've been doing road stuff. You did tries. You like to run trails. At what point did you become aware that ultras existed, that like ultra racing was a thing? So I've always been aware of it, but it's always been something that's been kind of beyond me in my head because I didn't have the time to dedicate to it. Um, and it's only really, so I, I get regular sports massage, which keeps my back in shape. And um, my sports massage therapist, Mary, who's also become a really good friend, um, was talking to me about some of her clients that did ultras. And she said, you know what, Miranda, they just do really long runs at weekends. Um, and otherwise, like during the week, they do strength and, and you know, hill repeats and um, shorter stuff. And I thought, oh, and she said, should we do one? And I said, mm, let me think about that. And then so by the time I got home, I thought about it and I thought, yeah, I actually really do want to do one of those. So I texted her and I said, I've entered one. And she said, what, already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So wait, she proposed that you guys do it together. Well. That's what she suggested. And then she was a bit horrified when I entered it and she said, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this was this recently? Because you just did your first ultra. So like this yes. conversation, it took, took place so, like within the last year? Yes. So probably about, uh, yeah, a bit more than a year ago. So it was last summer, summer 2022. Um, mm -hmm. We chatted about this kind of July time maybe a little bit later in July. And by August, I entered one for the following year, 2023. I love it. I love you're just like, I'm going to make this decision. I'm just going to do it. Did you spend much time thinking about what race you were going to do? Or was it like the first one that you saw? Like, how did you make that decision? So there's um, a company that run races and events, and they run various different ones in different parts of the country, but also abroad and in um, Europe and elsewhere. So I just looked at their website and I saw one that was close-ish to where I live, about an hour and a half away. And I just thought, you know, that's a good place to start because it's not too arduous having to travel a long distance. And I can even go to the some of the course and try some of it and see if it works for me. Um, yeah, so that I decided that I would do it. And it's by the sea. So I just thought it would be a really nice route. And I know this, but these guys that are listening don't know this. What distance did you sign up for as your first ultra? 100K. 100K. Yeah. 
<laughs> was there no 50k option or you just were like drawn to the 100k? Oh yeah, there was um 25k, 50k or 100k or you could do 100k over 2 days. Oh, cool. That's a good so, option. Yeah. And you just mm-hmm. went right right for so, it. What drew you? What yeah. what made you decide I'm going to do 100k? So I talked to another friend Alex, who's a friend of my husband's, a friend of ours, but my husband's done cycling events with Alex and um I messaged him and I said, you know, because he's he used to do running and he used to do some marathons. And I just thought, well, I wonder if that would appeal to Alex. So I messaged him and said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? And he said, oh, give me a minute. So he looked at the website and he said, let's just do 100K. I said, okay. And he said, if you sign up, I will. So I said, I've signed up. You're like, I beat you to the punch. I already signed up. (laughs) So cool. So he did it with you. Yeah. And did you guys stay together the whole time or did you sort of run your own race? So we just had a really loose arrangement that, you know, we'd start together. We had the same start time. Um, My friend Mary, the massage therapist, so she did the first half. She said, I haven't got 100 in me, but I'm going to do 50. Nice. So the three of us started together. And um, Alex, he had some issues. So he kind of dropped behind Mary and I at the first 25K. Um, but Mary and I run the first half together and then she'd finished and then I continued. Nice. Nice. So talk a little bit about like what, first of all, what was the name of the actual race in case people are interested and they want to look it up and or do it themselves? Yep. So it's the South Coast Challenge and it's from Eastbourne to Arundel. So I'm looking at the map. It looks like there's, you like, you know, start in a town, but then you get to go, I was watching actually some of the video. It looks like you get to go up onto this cliff, like overlooking the, the, the ocean, the sea. Do Is that true? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that looks yeah. really cool. Yeah. The whole route is, is essentially by, by the sea. So, and what I didn't realize because it was advertised as a trail run and what I didn't really look at carefully enough, which is a learning point for me for next time is, um, quite a lot of it in the middle was through a town called Brighton and a lot of it was on road which really didn't work for me so that's a a learning point for me and I see it's a point to point right so you start in one place and finish in another yeah were you drawn to that because some people like you know looped courses some people like out and backs I kind of picked it because it was close and it was the event that I wanted to do and I thought it's by the sea and it looked really nice so it didn't really bother me what format it came in. And I knew that my husband would be supportive and pick me up at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And yes. it, it, does your husband run too? Is he an athlete? Uh, so he is um, a rugby player. Um, yeah, so he's not really the build for a runner. He's six foot four. and <laughs> um, But he enjoys cycling now that he doesn't play rugby. Talk us through race day. Like you show up. Is this a big race? Or are there a lot of people there? It's about 2,000. That's a big race. So that's a big race. Okay. I mean, I think that's a big race. You know, if I were to show up and there were 2,000 people there, I mean, I guess like, you know, in context, if you do triathlon, some of those races, you can show up and there are, you know, quite a few people there. Mm. I think in the world of trail and ultras, I think of, okay, 2,000 people showing up at a race. I think like big name, like here in the States, that would be like Leadville or Western States or, you know, some of these bigger, you know, bigger races. Um but 2,000 people, that's a – and that is that for all distances, like the 25, the 50, the 100? Uh, yes. So And then they have a staggered start. Uh, and the race was also appealing to me, so there was no cut-off times. Oh. So I – you know, because it was my first, I didn't know how it was going to go. So um, you could enter it as a runner, 
as a jogger or as a walker. Mm. And so they didn't have any cutoff times because they also had people walking the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Even the 100K? Well, that's the 100K Mm. across two days, right? Uh, Yes. Okay, cool. That's an interesting option. So what was the weather like? Did you have good weather? Was it rainy? Like, No, it's fabulous weather. It was really nice and sunny and really still. It was actually quite warm for September. And we've had a really, and then a week later, it was even warmer. So it was, it was perfect really for the day. And how many aid stations were there along the way? Every 10 or 15 K, there was an aid station. Yes. And then supporters could access at 25, 50 and 75 or 80, I think it was. Did you have support? Like, did you have other people come in and pace and run with you? Or did you just, you, you and your friends, you know, started the race together, they did a little bit, and then you just continued on, on your own. So Mary and I did the first 50 together. Um, well, it's actually 57, her point at which she stopped her halfway bit. Um, and then my friend Janet, who I work with, came and did 50 to 80 with me. My husband also was there with a big bag of stuff in, with everything that I might have needed. Um, I packed into a bag and said to him, bring that to every every supporter's point. Um, so uh, I saw him at 25. Mary left me at 57. Janet started with me at 57 and then I ran to 80 and um, Janet left me at 80 and my son Harry did the last 20 with me. Oh, that's so much fun. Everything goes really well on race day. You like your nutrition, your hydration, blisters, all that stuff. Did you have any of those issues like while you were training or did, did training go pretty well? And so you thought that like, oh, race day will just be like an extension of my training. So I prepared, I think, really well just because that's what I'm like and uh, yeah you know I I entered a year before and um over that first winter I just wanted to build up some endurance and some strength mm-hmm. and um just be a lot more structured about my running than I had been up until then um so and I love that structure and you know it did a lot for my mental health as well and um yeah so and I kind of troubleshooted a lot of problems you know what shoes worked for me, wearing waterproof. Because that first that winter that I did the training, a lot of my endurance build up um, was really, really wet. And so I put waterproof socks on, but then I got blisters on my feet because my shoes were a bit small because they were a bit thicker. So, yeah, you know, I did all of that stuff um, during the winter and, you know, trying to work out what nutrition – um, I did a lot of information gathering. I, you know, I found you. I listened to your podcast when I was out training. I listened to the whole back catalogue of your podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so fun. <laughs> so, when it comes to the like the structure piece for you, what do you find is like the most crucial? You know, like for me. I know that I have like set days. I try to schedule myself on set days to do specific things so that I know that I can, you know, get my runs in or my training in. Like how, you know, how granular do you get on that stuff? Do you do you really map it out like that? Like what works for you? Uh yeah, so I know that different days different things are possible. So mm-hmm. when I I live in London during the week, I know that I can't do long runs and I know that, you know, I'm confined to road running or maybe a little bit of park, but in the winter it's dark and that's difficult too. So um, in in the week I did hill repeats and I did TRX training and I did some um, strength and mobility. I did yoga once a week. 
And then at the weekends, so I don't work on Fridays. And so I did a long run either Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, or maybe a tempo run on Friday and then a Saturday, Sunday back to back building up longer runs as the winter went on. I like to ask people this question. I'm sort of doing like a, (laughs) it's like a very informal survey, but um, how do you feel about running in the dark? Uh, No, I didn't mind actually. Yes. And and that, no, I don't, don't mind. And it was, it was never very far. Like, you know, I'd set off early so that I'm not running too long in the dark and depends where I am as well as to how safe and secure I feel at the same time. And, you know, practicing with a head torch was a good thing because, you know, the race did finish in the dark. There were a few hours in the dark. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, my husband ran me on a couple of occasions and said, where are you? Like, how far are you from home? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I've got a head torch. Um, you know, I'm just here. I won't be long. So yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Um, you know, some people are very comfortable running in the dark and some people I I have found, especially lots of women are not comfortable running in the dark just for a variety of reasons. So, um, I, I ask everybody just, I'm sort of like curious how, what to sort of gauge their comfort level with running, you know, either in the dark or, and, or running in the dark by themselves too. I think that that adds another layer of uncertainty. I think security would always be at the back of my mind as to where I was and how far away I was from home or you know in the in the winter time when I did my hill repeats and I set out it was always dark in the morning because I did them before work so yeah but I knew it was you know first couple of times I thought oh are there any are there anybody going to be around when I'm running but actually when I got out there there were a lot of other mad people who were equally running up and down the hill so (laughs) yeah it seems it's a popular thing to do yeah so you talked a little bit about like running in London during the week and then running in Kent on the weekends, were you able to get the, I mean, I know you said that during your race, you actually spent a, a fair amount of time on the road, but were, was how you trained appropriate for race day? Like, did you find that the terrain and the elevation was similar or was there a big difference? Um, the, the actual event was quite hilly. So it's like undulating hills, about two, 2,200 meters of climbing. So I don't know what that is in feet. Um, just multiply by three. Okay, there you are. Roughly. Yes. <laughs> I just do the rough math by multiplying by three. Okay. <laughs> it's not the exact conversion, but. Yeah. So there were some steep bits. Um, there's another, there's a section of the race, which is called the Seven Sisters, which is, um, you know, it's literally up and down and over the, over the, um, the chalk cliffs. So uh, that's very steep as well. Um, but it's quite hilly here in Kent. so. You know, I did a fair amount of running up hills and, um, you know, just practicing and walking the hills and eating and running the bits that I could was my plan. So, yeah, I was kind of quite used to doing that from training, I guess. Like how long did you anticipate that it was going to take you to finish this race versus what was your actual finishing time? I thought if I did it in 16 hours, I'd be really delighted with that. Um, So I did the first half in... I think it was 7.45. And then I did the whole, so the the latter half of the race, particularly going through the middle of Brighton, because I walked a lot of that. Um, And then sort of the latter half of the race, I walked more in um, from certainly 70 or 80 than I did for the first half. Um, And so I finished in the end in 17.45, something like that. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, in my main event, 
um, main goal was just to finish the event. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a massive time commitment in my head. Yeah, especially since it was your first one. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, The whole thing of ultra running just really appealed to me because it's, you know, I was so used to doing competitive running when I was younger that, you know, I just wanted to get away from that eyeballs out running. And this is just so much gentler. And, you know, it was just fun being part of that trail community. And um, the race was just so different from any other race that I've ever done where, you know, people talk to each other and ask if you're okay. And, you know, in a in a race that I'd done before, you know, if you're if you've fallen over, people just run over you. Whereas, <laughs> whereas in this, they stop and help you up. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, of all the people that I have talked to, every single person has mentioned that as being something that they remarked over, that they, you know, a difference between road running and trail running that they just couldn't, like, get past, you know, they were like, I can't believe this. And and lots of them say the exact same thing. Like if I fell during a road race of any distance, I would just get run over. But in a trail race, there's, you know, five or six people, depending on how many are around you that are picking you up, dusting you off, asking if you need anything, willing to run with you, you know, for a little bit to make sure or run ahead and alert the, the next aid station if you need something. Um, so, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of of that environment and that type of community versus um, the road running. And again, there's there's nothing wrong with with road running. I just think they're just so focused on themselves and their goals and their objectives. Again, which is fine. But I feel like you know, if you get into this sport for the community aspect, you're not really going to get that to the to the same extent in road running that you are in trail running. So that's what I love. Yeah. one of the things I love about it. And there's just a massive focus on time in, mm-hmm. in, you know, anything else that I've done before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to wipe the slate clean and just start again and do something really different. And I think as far as time goes too, people can wrap their head around, okay, what's a quote unquote reasonable time to finish a 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon. But once you get beyond that point, it's tough for people to estimate how long it's going to take me to, to run a 50 K a hundred K so on and so forth. So I feel like having these races that either don't have hard cutoffs or have generous cutoffs and, you know, setting goals to finish, which is great, but then also putting like, you know, you even said, I really would love to finish in 16 hours, like putting some sort of perimeters on it just allows you to train with a purpose. Otherwise you can sort of just be floating around aimlessly, you know, not knowing where to devote your time and energy because you're like, well, I don't know how long I'm going to take to finish. Right. So I think having, having that goal and having some sort of time cut off, um, can, can be helpful especially with your, with your training. But that's one of the things that sort of is frustrating for new trail and ultra runners, because they're just, they sort of like throw up their hands. Like, I I have no idea. I have no idea how long this is going to take me. So I know that that's frustrating for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just had to forget all my times that I had before and just, you know, and that was part of the nice thing about doing this was that, you know, it was something new and different and I didn't have to, you know, if, I've only ever run one marathon. I knew that if I did another marathon, it would be slower and that would be really frustrating for me. So I just needed to do something new and different. Mm -hmm. And that's the other type of math that people try to do too, is they say, well, given my 
most recent or the history of my marathon finishes, my road marathon finishes, what can I expect when it comes to my trail 50K? And I'm always telling people, you know, you can you can use that marathon finishing time as a, a starting point, but you're likely going to add a couple hours here, depending on the type of race, the elevation, gain and loss, the technicality of the trail. So even though you're only going a handful more miles or kilometers from marathon to 50K, it's sort of like apples and oranges, right? Like they're, they're both fruit, so they're both in the same category, but they're nothing alike. And so you really can't use one to gauge the other. It's, it's, a, it's a relevant data point, but it's not really going to give you an accurate necessarily um, prediction of what your trail finish is going to be. Yeah. And I was out here 20 years as well. So I was going from fruit to dried fruit. (laughs) So um, before we started recording, I was asking you about, um, you have a a whole bunch of medals that are hanging sort of above you and behind you. And you told me, uh, you told me a little bit about who they belong to, but I think that also ties into, you know, the race that you did and part of your drive as to why you wanted to do this race or, or you want to share that with everyone? Yeah, of course. So I'm sitting in my son Freddie's room and um, Freddie is my youngest son and I have two boys, Harry and Freddie. And Freddie, when he was 19, went off traveling to Bolivia. Um, he'd finished his A-levels, so he'd finished at school and he had uh, a year off between school and university and he went off to Bolivia traveling and sadly he was killed in a car crash when he was over in Bolivia. So he went off traveling at 19 and he never came back, which has been really, really tough emotionally and everything. So, you know, part of what makes me tick is my running and it always has but you know after Freddie was killed you know I kept running and that was really important to me but then in the last year having that structure um of you know a training plan and a goal um and just a sense of achievement was really really important to me mentally and you know to give me that resilience I think it really really helped me that you know, I was planning and doing an event and, you know, I wanted to do something big because I wanted to do it for Freddie, for Freddie as well. Yeah. And so what you were telling me was that like Freddie was an athlete, right? He's, he has all these medals. Yeah. 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 Very sporty boy. So he always loved team sports. He always played football, you know, soccer um, and some rugby, but, you know, he also enjoyed running. We used to go running together. Um, my other boy, Harry, he likes running too. So that's why he did the last 20K with me. Um, and yeah, so all the medals you see behind you are all, all Freddy's. Did you ever, in the process of actually running your race, did you, did you think about Freddie a lot? Did you like, you know, did he help you through some, maybe some of the lows that you experienced? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, you know, I think about him every single day, you know, there's not a day when I don't wake up and I think, Oh God, Freddie's dead. You know, every morning it hits me every morning all over again. So. But I carry him with me. Um, I don't know if you can see, I've got a ring here that's made of resin. It's got his hair in it. Um, I've got his ashes in a necklace around my neck. I've got his fingerprint in another necklace around my neck. Um, And I've got a bracelet that says Harry and Freddie on it. So, you know, I carry him in my heart, but at the same time, I've got memories of him as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like, you know, when you've had such a, um, an event like this that is so sudden and it is so tragic, you, you have two options, right? You can let it pull you down, right? Or you can let it guide you and sort of like help you continue to move forward, you know? And I think that, um, there are probably a lot of people out there who are listening to this who who have had something similar happen to them, whether it's a, a son, a daughter, a, fan, a friend, a family member. Um, I, I had a, a situation where a friend passed away <clears throat> the, during this past year, and um, oh, I'm sorry. It was hard. It was hard. Yeah, it was hard for me. But like, it, what the the nice part, if there is sort of like a nice part slash silver lining to it, was that it was a really great reminder to me that this is not, you know, like tomorrow, we're not promised tomorrow that like, we really do need to make use of every moment of every day and enjoy ourselves and have goals and keep working towards them and not sit and sort of, and now I'm, now I'm speaking about myself and not about you, but like not sit and wallow, you know, in our misery and sorrow. Like, yes, you have to grieve and process your guilt and it might, uh, your, your guilt or your sadness. Um, and it might take some time, um, but you will get through it as long as you keep trying to move forward. And I love that running is one of these things that you can help yeah, uh, help yourself with by establishing routines. And I found for me, like just over my whole life, that running has been a place where I can like process a lot of emotions too. Like if I'm just having a shitty day or I, I don't know how to handle a situation, I'm frustrated, I'm pissed off, I'm angry, I'm sad. Like if I just go for a run, <laughs> I think I was, I can't remember who I was talking about this with, but like having a good cry while you're out on a run, you know, and just like processing yeah. a lot of that stuff. Um, cause sometimes I just think we need space to do that yeah. and it's not always convenient, like at home or at the office, but like if you can disappear into the woods, right. Like for a little bit and just run and have a good cry and, you know, work through some of that stuff and come back, you can, you can come back with sort of like a, a clean head, uh, you know, yeah. you're more, you know, fresh, you can, you can get back to doing what it is you need to do. Um, and so I think that's a, a tool that a lot of people have implemented, whether it's because of, you know, a death, whether it's, um, PTSD, whether it's, you know, any, any, anything along that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I had a lot of help from a psychologist I had a treatment called EMDR which helped with the PTSD and the sudden loss of Freddie and the police coming to my house at six in the morning which is the that call that every parent dreads but um yeah so having all of that and you know friends and family and you know my husband and my other boy you know and it's really important to me to keep healthy and you know to keep to keep living the life that Freddie would want me to have. I think about that a lot too. Yeah. Like, you know, um, doing it in, in honor of this person and like, you know, y using it as a way to, um, make them proud, you know, not that he wouldn't be proud of you, even you, if you were just his mom and didn't do, you know, ultras, I think about, you know, using those losses in a way that, sort of inspires you to, to keep moving and to keep getting better because you want to have that person be proud of you. Yeah. And when he was a little boy, when, so he was four in 2004 when I did the marathon in London. And the first thing he came to me when I came back, he said, did you win? <laughs> 
That's the best. The little kids are the best with that. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, what would he say that I was running an ultra marathon? He'd probably think, oh my God. <laughs> but then he would be proud of me. I know he would. Of course. Yeah. Of course he would. You mentioned that you had this treatment EMDR. I don't yes. know what that is. So it's um treatment that's quite recognized and is very um so it's uh recommended and it's been proven to help with PTSD. So it's rapid eye movement and it helps you to process. So you have to wait for six months after a traumatic event, but then um it's um I can't remember what EMDR so so eye movement uh desensitization uh can't remember what the R stands for. But essentially it's um you have to go over the traumatic event, but mm-hmm. at the same time you do this eye movement, which helps mm. you to instead of it being stuck back here and it helps you to bring it forward and process it so that it's no longer kind of blocks in your head. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. I'd I'd never thank you for explaining it. I'd I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. And it definitely worked. It definitely helped me to feel less traumatized. Mm-hmm. Did you did you do it for a long time? Is it something that you do like a few times or how does the treatment I mean, I'm sure it's different for everyone in terms yeah. of length of treatment, but mm. yeah, I'm sure it's um it's you know, uh for every person it's different. But I had um weekly sessions. I can't remember how for how many weeks. And then you can always come back to it. So, you know, if I still see um, a psychologist every couple of months just to chat things through and to um, talk about what might be worrying me or, you know. And in um, in last summer, so uh, uh, in June this year, uh, it was the fourth anniversary of losing Freddie. We went to Bolivia. You know, if anything comes up, she can say, you know, do you, do you want another EMDR session? Do you want to process some of that? So you can have kind of top ups as well. Did you find it helpful to actually go to Bolivia? Yes. So I think people asked me early on, you know, do you want to go to Bolivia? Do you want to see where he where he died? Do you want to see what he saw? And I said, no, why would I want to do that? You know, it's a place of nightmares. Why would I want to do that? But actually, four years later, and then, you know, all of the COVID and working in a health service at the same time. And um, um, I think by 2023, you know, we were able to travel a lot more freely. And so I was ready to do that. And yes, um, I was definitely ready to go and see what he saw. And he actually dies on the salt flats. So it's the most stunningly beautiful place. And yeah, I think it really helped all of us to go, me and my husband, Mark and Harry, my other son, with three of us went. So I think Mm -hmm. it did help us definitely. That's good. So you ran your first ultra. What do you think? Do you, do you love ultras? Are you going to do more? Are you going to go further? Uh, So I've already entered another one. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I've examined the route a bit better. So I'm going to do, it's the same, same company. So they do a series as I've already mentioned. So I'm going to do the Isle of Wight challenge, which is an island off the South coast. And um, again, it's, you know, by the sea and it's circumference of the island. So it's 106 kilometers this time. Nice. And that is in May next year. Oh, perfect. So you'll have, you'll have lots of time to rest and recuperate right now and then spend, are you going to plan to do basically the same type of training? Uh, so I wrote a, I think it was something like a 25-week training plan. 
that I devised. So I wanted to give myself plenty of time. So that, you know, because we were in Bolivia for two weeks, um, we had another week in July when we were away. And I, you know, I just wanted to do it really slow and steady so that if there was any niggles or injuries, I could back it off for a while without panicking and worrying. So um, I'll probably do a similar thing. I think, you know, a 16 week training plan would take me to something like January. So, you know, but I'm still running. I'm still going out and doing a 10K when I want to, some TRX. So it's, you know, I'm keeping my fitness going, but not in a kind of much more relaxed way for the moment. Is Mary going to do this one with you? She said she hasn't got 100K in her. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure if Alex will, but um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Was that her first 50K too that she ran? Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I ask everybody after, you know, we've sort of talked about your, your ultra experience. If you were somebody pretend like you are, you from, you know, back in 2004, like no, no ultras, nothing. Like if you're someone who has yet to do an ultra and you're listening to this and you're thinking, Oh, there's like no way that I could do 50 K I've, I've done a half marathon, maybe, maybe I've done a, a, a full marathon, but I just don't know that I could do a 50K. What would you tell someone who was thinking that? Do you know what? I think if you can do a half marathon or a marathon, I think anybody can do this because it's, it's such a different event. I think it's so different in, in terms of just being able to do it in a more relaxed way. So I think if you take your time and, you know, you build up gradually, probably at my age I needed to build up more gradually you know build in sensible stuff like you know when I was when I was racing however many years ago there wasn't such the same emphasis on things like strength training as there is now so I think you know that's changed massively and I think if you do all the right things and you look after yourself I think there's no reason why anybody couldn't do it that's I agree that's what I think too but There's still there's still people out there, you know, there's many women out there that that I get emails from or that I just, you know, encounter um on a day day-to-day basis who, you know, look me in the eye and they're like, I I could never even dream of doing that. And then and I go through the process of asking them, okay, well, why not? And there's a whole, you know, list of reasons or excuses. And um by the end of the conversation, my goal is to always try and move them just like one tiny step closer. <laughs> I'm not always trying to convince everybody. Yeah. I mean, I am trying to convince all women to to do an ultra, um, but not necessarily, you know, every, try to get everybody to commit on the spot. Not everybody's like you and, and talks to one person, thinks about it for six hours and then goes ahead and signs up for a hundred K. But I think it's like, uh, part of the reason why I liked having this podcast and part of the reason why I like having these conversations is because we can just talk about and I can show and give examples of people like you and, and the the variety of other women that I've had on the podcast to say, look, you don't have to be like we were talking about before we hit record, right? You don't have to be 22 or and be in perfect shape and, and have like, you know, work only a part time job and have no kids like you can do this and be any age, have virtually any job. I mean, I know women who work second and third shift, who also are able to do this, you know, um, so it's not like you have to have the perfect set of circumstances in order to be an ultra runner. I think it also goes back to sort of what you said a little bit ago about your schedule and, you know, just being realistic about what days you know that you can reasonably accomplish what tasks and then setting yourself up 
with a routine and then sticking to that routine, right? Which is oftentimes like the hardest part. Um, And then just, I love what you said uh, not too long ago too, about giving yourself extra time, making sure that, you know, you had the time to sort of back off if you had, you know, maybe your back was flaring up or something else was happening that you weren't, you know, trying to cram in the training, you weren't pressed for time, like you really took your time, enjoyed it, made it more of an enjoyable process. So I love, I love that. I think that's so great. Yeah. And I think, I think it helps if you love the outdoors and you don't mind being outside, you know, wind and rain. And, you know, last, last winter, I almost had trench foot. It was so wet, but, um, you know, I was glad when the spring and it all dried up again, but, um, yeah, I think, you have to have a love of actually wanting to do it and wanting to be outside. And I think, you know, a lot of it is in, is a mindset. And if, if you want to do it, then I think it's perfectly achievable for anybody. Now, pardon my ignorance, but do you get snow in the winter? Yes. You do? Yes. Yeah. I mean, not, not a huge amount. Um, so there was a, uh, there was some snow last winter and, yeah, I was out running up Primrose Hill in the snow and ice, which was a bit tricky. But um, yeah, so I mean, it doesn't, doesn't ever last very long, like a few days, but it can snow. Yeah. Yeah. Tra- winter training around here is more is a little more challenging because the snow hangs around. <laughs> so we've got, you know, feet, feet of snow sometimes. So I, I also find it interesting people's strategies for training, depending on the different, you know, regions that we live in, you know, you versus me in the Northeast here in the States, someone who lives in, you know, Arizona in the desert, you know, just the different, the different environments can really play a a big role in, you know, the, the type of racing that you do, the type of athlete that you are, um, and people are always, you know, lamenting over signing up for races that are, you know, further away that are, that are quite challenging for them because they don't have access to that specific set of environmental circumstances, the hills, the heat, the, the humidity, the, the dryness, the sand, like all those things. And, but that's just another, I think of that as just like another layer onto the challenge, right? Like how can I, how can I try and prepare for this or try and replicate it um, in my training so that the day of, you know, I'm more, more prepared. And we don't have, um, you know, extremes of weather here, but it can be really changeable. So, you know, always take a rain jacket out with you or, you know, we always, we always study the weather carefully. English people are obsessed about the weather because it can just change. Yeah. I I feel like that's, that's true here too. Um, it, it, in the little like part of New Hampshire that I live in, I feel like at any given time, it's either doing exactly what the weather forecast says, or it's doing exactly the opposite. And so it's sort of like a roll of the dice. You just, you know, you never know, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, from here, I'm I'm close to Europe. So I'd really like to do some, maybe some event in France, mm. maybe the following mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Yeah. Not Mont Blanc Ultra. That's too much. But, <laughs> but there is a, there is a shorter um Mont Blanc race so the same weekend there's a 50k which is a lot more climbing so that would be a nice goal maybe one day yeah you'll have to start recruiting mm-hmm. more people make it like a group travel yeah. race yeah my my friend Janet has already said no I'm not doing that because it's it's way too mountainous and you know there are ledges that you have to run along she said I tripped and fall off the edge that's not going to work for me 
Well, Miranda, it's been so amazing to have you on the podcast and share your story. I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, come on and, and talk to us all about the different aspects of your training and, you know, about your son and how he inspired you and sort of motivates you. Anything else you want to share with anybody today? Just thanks to everybody in the community. And, you know, it's been great swapping stories and getting to hips, tips and hints for everyone. And, you know, the daily shakedown, definitely do the daily shakedown because my back pain has never been so good since I've started doing that. And yeah unsolicited I didn't ask her to say that either <laughs> we did not talk about that ahead of time <laughs> and and just move mm-hmm. like you know if you have pain or chronic pain depending on what your ailment or injury might be but you know moving is often better for you so in my two-week taper my back got worse than when I was actually moving and running so you heard it from Miranda do your daily shakedown <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Do your daily shakedown. Okay, have a lovely weekend. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And actually, after we stopped recording, Miranda and I went on to talk for probably like another 15 or 20 minutes just about how running has positively impacted our lives, especially as it pertains to grief and loss and, you know, just all that's all the stuff, all the things, right? And I do firmly believe that running is one of the best ways that you can help to keep yourself moving forwards. And make sure that you take Miranda's advice and do your daily shakedown. If you're not doing this already, you guys, I cannot stress enough how important of a habit this is in just maintaining really good joint health and movement in your muscles. It will honestly make such a big difference. So if you're not doing that already, make sure you drop down into the show notes and I will send you a free video that will walk you through it. Or you could scroll back in this podcast feed to episode 176, where I talk you through one and you can bookmark and save that episode and just take me to the trails with you. And I will walk you through that warm up. So you literally have no excuses now not to do it. All right. If you are planning your first 50K in 2024, couple things. First, you want to get into my free Facebook group, Run Your First 50K. So just head on over to Facebook, search Run Your First 50K under groups, request to join and answer the questions so that we know how to help you. And then second, keep your eyes and ears peeled for some announcements from me on upcoming run your first 50k program dates. The program is going to kick off in January of 2024, but signups will come just a little bit before that. Plus I'm actually going to give you guys an advanced opportunity to join the She Runs Ultras membership community, but more on that to come. So if you want to be in the know, (laughs) I don't know why I said that, but be in the know, right? Get the advanced um, information. Make sure you go to sherunsultras.com and click the little button at the top of the page that says get notified. That's where that's going to put you on my email list and it's going to put you on the list to get information not only about Run Your First 50K, but She Runs Ultras, the membership, and getting in there before January 2024. All right, you guys, that's all for this episode. Enjoy this beat and go do your shakedown. Oh,